Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarie is another great guest today. It's Anthony Tresh of PFF. We're going to run through every Buckeye you can think of that made one of Anthony's top 10 lists. He ranked the top 10 players at every position in the country. So we talk Zach Harrison. We talk Tyleek Williams. We talk Jackson Smith and Jigba and CJ Stroud and Trevion Henderson and Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones and all kinds of different guys. It's a good, broad view of the Buckeyes, and Steven should be back soon. So I know um, we've missed Steven while he's been out. Nathan, of course, is out on uh, baby leave. Everything's going great with that. But Steven, been a little under the weather. We, th- we think he'll be back this week. And you should start hearing Steven again on this podcast. Uh, recruiting camp, Ohio State recruiting camp's first one is on Wednesday. So, you know, stuff is a-poppin'. And we appreciate you guys uh, making Buckeye Talk part of your week. This is going to be a dive into a bunch of Ohio State Buckeyes and PFF rankings. Let's do it on Buckeye Talk. Back with one of our favorite guests here on Buckeye Talk, Anthony Tresh of PFF. Anthony, the reason we like you is because you take time, you use your expert analysis, your expertise over from, from all the time and energy that you put in to studying college football as a whole. And then you come on a show like this, and we talk about your rankings. And we say, oh, my God, why'd you have that guy ranked there? Right. So you we just sit and shout. You do the work. But, Anthony, it's so valuable for us in the summer. You're providing so much content to podcasters and sports college sports writers all over the country. You know, you're doing it right. You're, you're you have the thick skin. You can put up with it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, at this point, if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I enjoy it. You're always going, going to have some unhappy people with any list you put out, um, especially in college football, much more than the NFL, where I think the the passion is, I mean, it's large. I mean, these, a lot of fans, I mean, they would do anything for their program. So they're passionate about it. And it's awesome to see that kind of passion. That's why I love college football so much. So, I, I mean, I like it. I mean, I, I would do the same thing if I were in their shoes. And, you know, I, that, that's the best thing about the sport. I do love it. It's you, you do PFF top 10 rankings at every position. Um, early in the offseason, which is a great guide. So we're going to use that for some of our discussion here about Ohio State. I want to talk a little about the Big Ten, talk about the bigger picture in college football, some of the Ohio State opponents. But let's start with the Ohio State defense, if you don't mind. And this has been a guy 
that has been sort of a PFF darling his entire career. And we on this podcast have had sort of a difficult time trying to zero in on Zach Harrison. And he's good. There's no doubt that he's good. But once you get beyond the specific, like more specific than that in the conversation about Zach Harrison, it gets kind of difficult. I think the previous players at edge for Ohio state, the Bosa brothers and chase young and Sam Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis and some of the other people that influences this discussion, but the fact that he was a five-star he's now back for year five on your rankings. He's the number seven edge rusher in college football, but you also sort of note the inconsistency there. His PFF grades are always really high. First of all, why is that? What is it about Zach Harrison's game that allows him to grade out so well in the way you guys do it? Yeah, you know, Zach Harrison's a very, I mean, he's an interesting player, even with PF, from a PFF perspective. Um, he's graded out very high, but he's still kind of had just the, he's so hit or miss. And, you, you know, you see the flashes, but it's just not all the way there. Um, and I could see from, you know, the general, you know, a general fan looking at him and just looking at the box score stats, you can see, you know, there's a little bit of a disagreement there, right? Because he doesn't have a high sack total at all. And, you know, some fans, you know, he's not quite a, the Chase Young, the Bosa type, um, you know, that has dominated for Ohio State, not necessarily the game wrecker that you could count on every single game. And I think that's where, you know, that's the big disagreement there. But with PFF, you know, you look at the grades, he's very high. I mean, he has an elite pass rush grade, um, you know, over the last couple of years, um, you know, and you look at the low sack total and that can be kind of explained by, you know, a higher pass rush win rate. And, you know, sacks don't tell necessarily the full picture and it can, you know, be on either end of the spectrum, right? In the case of Zach Harrison, it, it can mean that he's a little bit underrated because, you know, he doesn't have a high sack total, but he's still winning, you know, a good amount. Again, like I kind of alluded to, just the consistency is sorely lacking there. Um, but, you know, a lot of guys too, you know, I, I don't want to name anyone on the top of my head, but, you know, some of those guys that do have high sack totals, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're one of the best pass rushers in college football. I mean, kind of depends on, you know, the, the defense that you're playing on um, and also the, the opposing offenses you're facing. You can get a lot of cleanup production there in, in the age of, you know, the mobile yeah. quarterback that runs into pressure a lot. You know, we're, we're seeing it more and more than ever. Um, and that's where you can kind of get the overrated, you know, throw out there. But with Zach Harrison, he's firmly, I think, still on the underrated thing. I just wish, you know, you know, like I said, you see the tools. I mean, he he is a gifted player, you know, from a, you know, just a physical profile perspective. And, you know, he can be something great. But right now he's just, like I said, it's too hit or miss there. And that's kind of, you know, off the Ohio State standard. You know, like you mentioned, too, Bosa's young. Those guys are winning every single week and you're not necessarily seeing it with Zach Harrison. So. I wouldn't be surprised by if the, the end of the year, he kind of slides down this ranking a little bit. But, you know, right now I, I would put him there in the top 10, just given if I had to pick any of the 10 best edge defenders in college football heading into week zero and I needed one some of the guys there, I'd pick Zach Harris in seventh of the bunch. It's hard with young guys in college football who don't have as much production. When you think about a guy, we've talked a lot about JT Tumalo out Ohio state, a five-star recruit who came in in July last year, made an instant impact, played really well for a true freshman not as much of an impact, not as many snacks as a guy like Zach Harrison. Now we're just getting into like, how do you make a list? So how you make a list is we want to talk about college football, but like, how do you sort of try to wrap your head around? Hey, he's a big time recruit. He played some, but I don't know if I play, if he didn't play as much as some other guys, when you're going into a, a off season list, how do you take into account? Like for instance, a freshman who was good in limited snaps. 
Yeah, it's that's the difficult part of it. And, you know, you look at someone like, you know, DJ Uyangale, Clemson quarterback, you know, we saw him for a couple of games as a true freshman and he kind of looked the part. There were some issues there. I was concerned about the accuracy, but everybody, you know, I mean, myself included, I thought he'd be fine. And he kind of fell off there. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, examples like that, you know, this year, too. Um, But, you know, with making a list, it's just kind of you can't lean too much on the data and you can't just lean too much on, you know, one dominant game. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to, you know, marry the tape with the data and go back and look at it. And, you know, from a college football sense, too, it's it's much more difficult you know, not just projecting some of these freshmen and, you know, mo- most of the guys that, you know, are going to break out, you know, later on, I mean, they're highly regarded recruits, you know, some of those guys on these top 10 lists, most of them are five-star guys, not to say there can't be some, you know, three stars, maybe some walk-ons. I mean, you know, uh, Sauce Gardner in Cincinnati, right? I mean, he was a three-star recruit and next thing you know, true freshman, he blew it up. So you never know what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, you kind of weigh those factors. And for me, it's something that I've been learning over the last couple of years And I've studied it a little bit and looking into, you know, how much of a difference it is. And I I really do think that we need to start treating the power five and group of five. as just complete two completely different leagues because the the talent disparity, it's pretty significant. Now, again, you have the Cincinnati's, the, you know, the Houston's of the world that are still, you know, highly competitive. But, you know, they make up, well, they will join the Big 12 here in a year. But, you know, after that, it's that's a pretty big difference there. And that's been something I'm learning with making these lists. So you might see maybe the highest graded player in the PFF database is someone from uh, Appalachian State, but he may not be on the top 10 list. And it just kind of goes this the strength of competition is so significant there. Um, you know, and that's what I've been learning that it's I think it's more severe than a lot of people think. Um, and, and so that's kind of something you always have to be, you know, way in your mind in those early you know, it's kind of the, the, I think the rough point of the season is like week three, when you get some of those power five teams that are just playing, you know, just beating up on lower level competition. Um, and then they're just padding those stats, right. And you have to weigh those skewed games where they kind of were just going up against lesser competition. So, you know, that's where you kind of have to go back and it helps with the PFF database because I can burn through the entire season of a guy in minutes. I mean, it's pretty easy um, to do it. You know, they don't have to go through and a lot of guys they'll, um, you know, you hear scouts say it all the time, you know, pick four or five games and, you know, you kind of go off of that, but, you know, the PFF database helps you see the entire year. Um, and so it's kind of just looking at all that and, you know, of course, looking at the recruiting status. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty big deal. And I do think that another thing too, that some people can kind of get lost in is with the recruiting status, sometimes it, some guys just won't work out. You know, you'll yeah. have five-star recruits, unfortunately, just kind of flame out and, you know, I, I think sometimes it could be, you know, their senior year and people are still saying, well, this guy was a five-star recruit. He's one of the best players. And it's like, well, he hasn't played like a five-star recruit ever. And, and you know, at, at a certain point, you kind of just have to chalk that one up as a loss. But, you know, for some of those small sample guys, it's just looking at how they got that production, what kind of traits did they show and what kind of sets them apart? Because, you know, for quarterbacks, for example, it's just, you know, you look at them as a true freshman, maybe they got some snaps, you know, like Bryce Young, for example, you know, he made some mistakes when he got garbage time snaps in that 2020 season. Um, but you saw just the the playmaking ability that he has, you know, when he's knocked off rhythm, you saw that special ability. So it's just looking for that stuff, you know, at, at every single position. So it's, you know, I'm actually doing some stuff in the NFL um, over at PFF.com right now, ranking you know, all the outside corners. And it's a lot easier to do it in the NFL than it is the collegiate level. I spend much more time building the list um, in college football. That's for sure. That's a, I- I agree with you. There, there are times, and I've been on some like all American 
calls and that kind of thing where it's like, hey, this guy from Texas State. It's like, I get it. His stats are awesome. Like, no offense, but like, come on. Right. And, and that's sometimes you sound like a jerk, but also you have to live in the world and it's just not the same. And it doesn't mean there aren't great players from smaller schools. But in general, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear your description that the, the level of talent, the gap is even larger than people realize, I think is an interesting bit of analysis by you. One more Ohio State guy I want to talk about on the defensive line, Tyleek Williams, all your rankings. And I would send people to all these at PFF.com. It's the top 10 at each position. And then there's like a kind of like a, what's the word you use? It's like the other guy, like a, like a guy to watch, sort of like a guy who just didn't, didn't quite make the top 10 sleepers to watch. You do have Jack Sawyer in there for Ohio State, but you have Tyleek Williams at defensive tackle for Ohio State. Tyleek Williams is an interesting guy to me because and this goes back to Anthony, you're, you might not have even been born yet. Have you heard of Glenn Dorsey? You know who Glenn Dorsey was? Like when oh, you were yeah, in elementary absolutely. school, when you were in elementary school, Glenn Dorsey for LSU was like tearing people up. And Ohio State had to play him in the 2007 national title game. And since then, there was like, man, like big athletic defensive tackles in the SEC. There's just not guys like that in the Big Ten. And now we still see it now with what Georgia did last year. These guys, they're oversized. They're 350 and they move like ballet dancers. Jonathan Hankins was a guy more than a decade ago for Ohio State who when he came, it was like, oh, that guy's different. And Big Hank would run sideline to sideline and chase people down. And that was different. He was a second round pick. Tyleek Williams, small sample size last year, but feels like he maybe fits this mold of big guy who can move, which is not always what you see in the Big Ten. What's your level of intrigue about Tyleek Williams? I thought for you to have him sort of in that other category, small sample size, you got to be careful. A lot of his snaps last year were kind of garbage time, but he's interesting to me. Yeah, 100%. You know, everything you outlined, I agree with there. And, you know, like that sleeper to watch, that name, that's just kind of, you know, like we just talked about a, a couple of minutes ago, that's just kind of a comfortable breakout candidate where I would be surprised if they didn't work out. You know, they may not be top 10 now, but I expect them to be top 10, um, you know, at some point this upcoming season. And Tyleek Williams, if I had to pick, you know, five players, some of my favorite players in college football, Tyleek Williams is one of them that I'm very excited to watch for this upcoming season. Um, and it's again, like you said, garbage time, small sample, but just the high ends of him. It was it was jaw dropping. I mean, you saw it right away from him. Um, I mean, like you said, he can move. He's a big guy that can move. Um, but he's just a strong dude, too. I mean, you can he can enforce, you know, in, in his will on other people. Um, you know, I thought he was a little bit more advanced, too. Um, you know, he's not a complete technician right now. Obviously, mm-hmm. he still has some room to grow. But for those true freshmen, it typically looks like they just were plopped out there. It's just a great athlete that doesn't really know how to play football yet. But Tyleek Williams looked like he knew how to play football a little bit. Um, you know, I really liked the way you know he used his hands. Um, you know, he's got some heavy hands too. You know, like I said, that upper body strength's definitely there. So, I mean, you could see the potential with Tyleek Williams. And I think with another year and, you know, I, I think this past year with, with these true freshmen, and we still might see it a little bit this year, um, you know, I think that you see a little bit of unexpected just because of 2020, right? I mean, yeah. some of these guys just didn't even have a season. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of makes it interesting and, you know, excited about what they could become. Um, you know, and Tyler Williams is someone that I'm very, you know, excited to see. And I, I think he's going to be – I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking back and, you know, you know, who's the best interior defensive lineman in college football this season. 
Um, I mean, Jalen Carter from Georgia, he's going to be it. I mean, that guy's a monster. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyreek Williams there is, you know, one beat. High price. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued by him. That's I want to talk about a couple non-Ohio State guys. Nick Herbig from Wisconsin, you have him as the third edge rusher in the country. This is a guy, Big Ten opener for Ohio State, week four in Columbus. Jim Leonard, that Wisconsin defense, everybody has respect for that. They lost a couple linebackers, you know, by SP plus. They're the number one returning defense in the country, though. Ohio State going to be playing a new left tackle. And we'll get to him in a little bit. But what what is it that you like so much about Nick Herbig and how much impact do you think an edge guy like that could have in a huge game like the Ohio State Wisconsin game in week four? Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that Wisconsin's going to have a great defense again this year, even though they did lose, like you said, both of their starting off ball linebackers, Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn, who, you know, I were the most important people to last year's defense. You know, Jim Leonard, I mean, he he's a pressure guy. I mean, he knows how to dial it up and he's going to get pressure on the quarterback. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to say the talent doesn't matter. The scheme plays a big part in that, but, you know, also the players and, you know, looking at Nick Herbig in particular, you know, he's an interesting guy because he is undersized. You know, you see him kind of try it out on the field and you're like, Oh, this guy's probably not going to be, you know, dominant. He's not going to, you know, completely wreck the opposing offense's plan, but he has that capability. Um, you know, as far as the next level stuff, I think that's when it kind of gets interesting with the size, but the size is not a, that big of an issue for me um, at the collegiate level, just, you know, given what he did just this past year in 2021, um, you know, I mean, he actually had, you know, one of the highest pressure rates and win rates in college football um, this past year. And, you know, speaking of someone that is a technician, I mean, that's, that's him. I mean, when you're undersized like that, you got to, you know, make up with for in some degree. And, you know, that's where he makes it up, you know, his pass rush move arsenal, I mean, it's fully stocked. He knows how to beat, you know, a tackle. You know, he, he knows how to get up to the quarterback. And I think the Wisconsin staff, that's a pretty, you know, big reason why he, he is where he is today. Um, and so I do think that, you know, just pairing, you know, just knowing how to get up to the quarterback, the plan also with his athleticism, um, you know, the lateral agility is there. Um, you know, I, I think that's what makes him such a, you know, a special college player. And again, you know, maybe he may not work out in the NFL level. He's probably going to pivot to off ball linebacker where it's going to be different for him. But, um, you know, serving in that hybrid role for Wisconsin, you know, that's a very valuable piece of that defense. And, you know, I think he's going to be the leader of, of another stout group for him. On my national college pod, the, nat- uh, the college football survivor show, I've theorized, everybody thinks this. If anybody can approach Georgia's level of defense from a year ago, Clemson has the best opportunity. Um, You don't want to just start saying, ah, anybody can be Georgia's defense. Like, dude, that was ridiculous. But looking at your rankings, three Clemson defensive linemen in your top 10, Trenton Simpson at linebacker is up there. When you think about Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy and what these guys are going to do, like – how good do you think Clemson's defense might be this year? And this might matter to Ohio state because we easily could see an Ohio state Clemson matchup again in the college football playoff. What, what's the, what's the ceiling of the Clemson defense? I think it's very high, but I think their floor is a little bit lower than some people might expect. I mean, losing, you know, their defensive coordinator preventables to Oklahoma, that's a pretty significant loss. I mean, that's probably, the best assistant coach in college football over the last decade. I mean, he continuously had that defense at a top five level, no matter what. And, you know, they lost some guys here and there, but it was still a top five unit. Losing him is key, you know, a key, key loss. And I think it could have some negative ramifications, you know, 
perhaps at certain points in the season, but they have the talent to be special. And if you don't really see that big of a hiccup from a coaching perspective, which we'll see what happens, I think we might. Um, but, you know, the, the talent there to be special for that Clemson defense. And, you know, like you said, up front, getting those guys. And I think the biggest thing is just trying to stay healthy, right? And, you know, you know Brian Breezy, um, you know, Xavier Thomas. I mean, if those guys can stay healthy, I think that's what's going to help put them over the edge. And, you know, the, the way they kind of would get pressure, I mean, their linebackers were key in that. Trent, Trenton Simpson, um, like you mentioned, he's also one of my top guys in college football. Um, you know, I think he's going to be – one of the best linebackers this year. I mean, he's one of the top returning guys as well um, in that top 10 list. And, you know, I think he's going to be a special piece to that defense. So, you know, you, you could definitely see the potential for that unit. It's just, you know, how does losing Brent Venables impact everything? And I think it could be a little bit more than expected, but again, they have some special talent on there. And if I had to pick any defense this year, just in terms of raw players, it, it's Clemson's defense. Context on Will Anderson, Alabama edge rusher. We saw Chase Young, in 2019, become a Heisman finalist at that position. Um, I have theorized on a couple recent podcasts that Ohio State's national championship hopes might come down to whether or not they can block Will Anderson in the playoff. What's your context on this guy? He's your number one edge rusher. He's everybody's number one edge rusher. But when you think about, and again, Ohio State fans have easy context with the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. Certainly there have been other great edge defenders in college football, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau recently. Where does Will Anderson sort of fit into that mix? I think he's a really good Heisman bet at 50 to one because I can see a path. I think voters have been groomed a little bit to figure out, you know what, you're allowed to vote for defensive players. I think Chase Young and Aiden Hutchinson in the last couple of years have done some work. And if they don't, if Bama's awesome, if Bama's the best team and they don't want somebody to join Archie Griffin as a two-time Heisman winner, I absolutely think there's a path for Will Anderson. But that's just voting. How good of a player is this guy in the recent context of college football? You know, well, from the, the betting perspective, I'm right there with you. I wrote an article about it, and I was like, well, Anderson, I mean, that's one Love of the it. best value bets because you think Alabama's the best team? I'm betting on Anderson out of everybody because, for, like you said, it's probably it should be Bryce Young because he's going to be the most valuable player in the country, but it, it's voter fatigue. They're not going to have another two-time Heisman winner. And, you know, Will Anderson, some people, the Heisman committee got kind of uh, got some backlash for not having yeah. him at the ceremony, even though I, I thought Aiden Hutchinson deserved the nod over him, but – you know, that's neither here nor there, but, you know, Will Anderson, I mean, he can, he's in that special tier. I mean, he's that special tier of fast rushers in college football. I mean, I mean, just in general edge defenders, you know, he is with Chase Young. He is with Hutchinson. He is with the Bosos, you know, he's, he, he is the real deal. I mean, there's no, no, no doubt about that. I mean, there's very few flaws within his game. I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, you know, you saw him at the spring game, Nick Saban just flat out said, yeah, like, yeah, we had to pull him because we couldn't see anything from the other offense. He just, he was blowing up every play. Um, and that's the type of player he is. I mean, you know, just in terms of volume, you know, every single down, he's going to bring it. Um, and, you know, he is everything that he's made out to be. So, you know, I, I think he could be a huge, huge force this year. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, last year we saw um, Hutchinson break the record for the most valuable season we've ever seen from a power five edge defender, um, you know, which was I think it was Chase Young and then both of the Bosa's, you know, second, third and fourth, you know, now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised Will Anderson tops Hutchinson's mark, which was, you know, he shattered that record. I, he has that type of ability. So, you know, I think having the best defensive player in the country and the best quarterback in the country, like Alabama does, kind of puts them in a, a good spot, even though they do have a, you know, pretty big weakness there with the offensive line again. But, you know, he's going to be, you know, every step of the way, all the way up. And I expect them to be in the national title game. You know, he's going to be a force. 
Let's go offensive side of the ball. Let's start with an opponent again first. Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. I think there's a top two among best tight ends in the country, and then uh, maybe it gets a little more complicated, but Brock Bowers at Georgia, Michael Mayer at Notre Dame. I'm super intrigued by how Ohio State tries to defend him against that Jim Knowles defense in the opener on September 3rd. What's the context on this guy? How good how good is he, and how much of a problem do you think he could be for Ohio State? Yeah, you know, I, I almost think it's um, it helps him a little. I mean, it's going to be tough to defend him. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Notre Dame, just considering the, the skill position weapons that they have, they, they, they're running dry, and it's pretty much Michael, Michael Mayer, and that's about it. Um, and so I think Ohio State's going to know what to expect there, and I think they can eliminate it, but that's not to say it's not going to be, you know, an, an easy task because this is a physical, you know, specimen that's, that's going to, you know, he's going to put up some numbers this year. You know, he is one of the top three tight ends returning in college football. Um, you know, looking back last year, Notre Dame's offense, the biggest thing with him, they just tried to get, get him the ball, you know, underneath, get the ball and just let him run. And hopefully he, he can use that physicality and just, you know, kind of run through people. He's not a burner by any means, you know, Brock Bauer is the top tight end playing for Georgia. He's got some elite speed. Michael Mayer doesn't have that, but he has just about everything else. And, you know, that's what kind of makes him a big play threat there. So, you know, I think it's going to be kind of a, you're, they're going to know what to expect. Um, but it's not going to be easy to shut him down. But if they can do that, then it's going to be tough for Notre Dame to, I, I think, effectively score, just given the, the big issues at wide receiver. Now, there's, they, of course, have high-end potential guys that, you know, former highly regarded recruits that could possibly break out, you know. But, you know, as of right now, first game of the year, that's the major concern. You're not going to really ne- necessarily expect some of these younger players to all of a sudden be like, oh, my gosh, this guy's the best wide receiver in the country. So, you know, I think it's probably going to be a one-dimensional type of offense from a passing perspective. It's going to be the Michael Mayer show, and I think Ohio State should be, will be ready for that. All right, let's do receivers. Again, I think there's a top two, and then kind of everybody else in college football. You have Jackson Smith and Jigba one, Jordan Addison, who just transferred from Pitt to USC, number two. How do you compare those guys? What does maybe one do that's different than the other? I'm, I'm, obviously, Jordan Addison's gotten a lot of attention. Belitnikov Cop winner last year, the big-time transfer move, deserves the attention that he gets. Um, how do those two compare to each other? Yeah, it's tough. It, it really is tough. And I know that was kind of one of the things I got backlash on. You know, how is Jordan Addison not number one, won the Belitnikov Award? And it's like, okay, if we had the Belitnikov voting after the bowl games, maybe it's a different story. Um, but you know, I, I still prefer Jackson Smith and Jigba slightly. I mean, we're splitting hairs there. I mean, Jordan Addison's a phenomenal receiver. He's going to be that, that could, could have been a game changing addition for USC in, in a sense where they might, I think they could be threatening for the college football playoff. It's just all about how do you get all that talent to sync together? And then I think we're going to see, we have a lot of case studies this year because some, there's a few teams that are just transfers. USC is one of them. How are you going to get that to mesh? And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but you know, I, with Smith and Jigba, I remember the first time it, that was it that touchdown against Nebraska. That's that moment. I was like, yep, this guy's going to be the real deal. And you go back, you know, you see some of the highlights in high school tape. You don't want to put a, too much stock in that at all. But, you know, you could see he's the full package and he showed that this past year. I mean, heck, he was the highest graded wide receiver in college football um, for PFF. It wasn't Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. And those two guys rightfully went the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. Um, there, those are some special receivers, but I think Smith and Jigba, has the chance to be even better than them. Um, you know, his ball skills in particular will really stand out to me. I mean, it's that's in rare territory. So, I mean, he has a complete game, complete skill set. 
Um, of course, working with the, with the best wide receivers coach in college football, one of the best assistants overall with Brad Hartline there. Um, and you can see the progression there. So, you know, it's just, um, I think it's preference thing, you know, between Addison and Smith and Jigba. Um, but I think after, I think there's no argument to be made that those are the top two guys. I mean, okay. and, and I wouldn't like argue too much that if you have Addison one, I'd be like, okay, I can, I mean, I, obviously I can see why you have him as number one, but for me, I like Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigba out of everybody. Running back. You have Trevion Henderson from Ohio State four, Braylon Allen from uh, Wisconsin. I think you have it number seven. I'm super intrigued by Braylon Allen. Again, could could is this an offensive guy who could come in and maybe be a problem for Ohio State? So let's talk about both of them. What do you think about Braylon Allen? Why'd you have him seven? What do you think about Trevion Henderson as a Buckeye number four? Yeah, I mean, running backs was a tough – this was probably the toughest list I've ever had to do at PFF was this year's running backs because oh. it's – there's insane talent. And for me, you know, someone that does, you know, NFL college and draft, I'm getting nervous when it comes draft time next year. Cause I think the NFL is going to fall in love with some of these running backs early. You know, obviously at the NFL level, these guys aren't going to be generating as much value as they are at the collegiate level, but right at the collegiate level, running backs matter a lot. They can be your most valuable player on the team. They can be difference makers. And with Braylon Allen, I think he's going to be the difference maker for Wisconsin because I'm not expecting a much better passing offense than what they had last year. And which was really, really bad. Um, but with Braylon Allen, just considering what he did last year, you know, 17 years old, supposed to be in high school, came out there and I thought he was one of the best, you know, running backs overall in the country. I mean, you could see him, you know, just the elusiveness and the ability to just churn out yards after contact. I mean, that's pretty translatable. Um, it correlates over year to year. You know, he has that skill set. And I think, you know, with what he brings, that Wisconsin is just going to be the same Wisconsin that we've kind of come to know, which is an elite defense. And then, you know, they're going to run the ball down your throat and that's how they're going to hopefully hold you a few points. And that's how they're going to win in a low scoring affair. And, you know, I think they have the team there with Braylon on to do that with Trayvon Anderson. Um, again, he, that was a tough one just because, you know, you definitely saw just the breakout last year kind of come, come out there. And I think, he has even more ability to take another step forward. And you, you saw the big play threat. I mean, he had some of the, the highest, um, you know, explosive run percentages in, in college football last year. Um, you know, just the, the breakaway threat, but also with something with him with that, I thought he was very advanced for a younger guy last year, just manipulate manipulating defenders in space um, and really setting himself up for success. Um, you know, you could definitely see that in an open field and that's what also helped that explosive um, run play rate for him. Um, and so I, I think with this entire top 10 running back list, if you said any of the guys in the top 10 are going to be number one by the end of the year, I'm not going to be shocked. Um, the difference between the top and the bottom is very, very slim. That's what made it such a difficult, you know, list to rank. But, you know, I, I think some of the best running backs in college football, they are going to be there in the Big Ten there uh, with Trayvon Henderson um, and Braylon Allen and even Blake Corum and Michigan. I have something I've said this on a couple recent podcasts, and I just want to drop this on you, Anthony. Just something to ponder. You don't have to answer it now. Just put this in your head. What if Graham Mertz is good? It changes everything. It, it changes everything. <laughs> and it's funny you say that because last year I was saying, I was kind of thinking the same, same stuff. I talk a lot with uh, Seth Galina, you know, fellow coworker of mine here at PFF Grade and that's one of the smartest football minds ever. We talked about it last year. It's like, is, is he actually kind of good? I mean, because everybody knows that a game he had in 2020, I think it was against Illinois. Yeah. It was just absurd. And then we never saw that again. And then he's like, well, I was hurt. And it's like, was he hurt? Is that why what? he was struggling? <laughs> and then last year happened and he wasn't. But who knows? Maybe he could turn. If he turns it around, That's that Wisconsin team's going to be tough. 
Yeah. Okay. There's two offensive tackles. I was intrigued by this again. I don't know how you do this. I don't know. Like, I don't know how you would come to a conclusion on this for a list. You have Dewan Jones third and Paris Johnson sixth. One of those guys started at right tackle all of last year is a rare physical specimen has some work to do was raw was a high school basketball player, but Greg's to when he got here said, if it pops, he's a first round pick. People thought maybe he'll go to the NFL. Got a mid round grade stays. The other guy has been born to be a left tackle. Just Ohio state hasn't played him at left tackle for his first two years. I thought was good at guard last year. Clearly wasn't his forte. Now Paris Johnson is going to be the left tackle. Again, we don't have to get into the, the nitty gritty of list making, but I'm just curious here. Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson, they're both in your top 10. Like they certainly right. They, they might be right now have a chance to be the best pair of tackles in college football. How good do you think both those guys might be? For sure. And, you know, that's also the toughest thing too. You know, I mentioned, you know, at the top, all the difficult aspects of making college football lists, but with college football offensive linemen, you get those guys, you know, changing positions and, it's not easy to move from even left tackle to right tackle, you know, even with them being so young, I mean, muscle memory, it's difficult to do that. Right. You know, Paris Johnson, of course, his natural position is at tackle. You know, he was, you know, I'm right there with you. He was good last year, but you definitely saw the, the, the tools and the capability to be special. And I think going back to where he's more natural at, and, you know, I think everybody would say the same, you know, that's where he feels more comfortable um, I think that's when you're going to see a top 10 tackle in the country, Paris Johnson, really take off there. Um, you know, if I had to pick a tackle to it right now in college football week one, who am I taking? It's Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, even though I, I think there would be some risk in there. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they slid a little bit, you know, by the end of the year, but I still have high expectations for him. Um, of course, you know, just kind of getting that pivot there for Johnson, there will be a little bit of a curve, even though that is his natural position. Um, you know, and Dewan Jones, he's a hit or miss guy. And, you know, you can, you, you, like you said, if he hits, he's going to be a first-round pick just because he's just uh, – he, he doesn't look like – he looks like a built-in-the-lab type of human, a guy that you make on Madden and just put all the sliders up, you know, from yeah. a you know physical profile. Um, but that almost does him a disadvantage sometimes in pass protection because you get some of those nimble edge rushers and, you know, someone that's just so high cut. I mean, it, it's really hard for him sometimes. And, you know, some guys can take advantage of that, and I think that's where his big deficiency is. Um, but, you know, we'll see if, you know, some of those techniques are a little cleaned up, his pass sets are reworked. Um, but, you know, for in the run game, he's going to he's going to dominate. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Sometimes you'll have some leverage issues. But, you know, with being even that large, he can kind of overcome it, especially in college football where, you know, I mean, there's some good defensive lines in the Big Ten. But, you know, he's he's, you know, well above, you know, from a, you know, just raw talent ability than some of those guys he's going to be facing. So, I mean, I would be more comfortable, like I said, if I had to pick a tackle duo, it's those two. Um, but like I said, too, I, I could see them sliding a little bit. They, they, they do have a little bit of a lower floor than others, but they still have one of the highest ceilings. There's no doubt about that. All right, let's wrap it up on quarterback. Save the best for last, the most interesting for last. Your quarterback rankings, one, Bryce Young. Nobody would argue with that. Two, Caleb Williams. Three, Spencer Rattler. Four, C.J. Stroud. And there's a line in here at the end of your CJ Stroud assessment, it was a little bit easy for Stroud given all the open throws created for him, but he did show immense growth as the season progressed when moving off his first read. So I think that's interesting and probably right in some ways. And it is, I started off last season with doubts about CJ Stroud. I don't have doubts about CJ Stroud. Now I think the guys you have ahead of him on that list, I don't think he's as good of an athlete, 
as those guys. And when you have three receivers, like you had last year, it's like, boy, they sure seem open a lot. Now you still got to read it. You still got to make the accurate throw to get him there. And he did that basically all the time. Once he set out the Akron game, that last two thirds of the season, he did not miss very much. He's super smart on this podcast. We've talked about his football intelligence, his high IQ, the way he reads the game. We've talked about that a lot. We think his best physical attribute is his brain. Four is probably about as low as you would find CJ Stroud on a list like this. I think having some, I don't think doubts are right, but some question about was there some percentage of his success that was just having three awesome, awesome, awesome receivers. I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think he's going to flop without him. I think he's really good, but I don't think it's unreasonable. I'm just curious in totality. What, how did you sort of work through that part of it, all the skill he had? And in the end, how did you come to putting him fourth on your quarterback list? Yeah, it's he's interesting. And, you know, I mentioned something like that was probably the most, you know, slack I got um, out of a ranking. But now that this one, if people were not happy, Cesar Stroud was number four. Um, I guess for me, I mean, being the fourth best quarterback in college football, I mean, that's, that's still very great, you know. Um, but, you know, the questions that I have are, you know, can he do it on a weekly basis? Because last year there were there were a few games, you know, especially early on, really those first three weeks where it, it was a little bit rough for him. It was a little bit bumpy, but you did see that growth as the season went on. And, you know, it was not only just, you know, his ability to, you know, move off his first read and go out there and make a play, um, you know, when the play started to break down and stay calm and comfortable, um, you know, I think that's where we start to see that. But, you know, the, the question I have is just the – so last year he he had some I think mechanical tweaks in, in his throwing motion and I think it helped the accuracy a little bit I mean he had a tendency to you know not really use his core in the the upper and the lower body weren't really in sync and that's where you saw those big misses um, against Oregon against Minnesota um, he, sometimes they did pop up down the stretch but he was still one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football according to our ball charting but it was just a lot of open throws so you know it's just if he has to you know throw into more tight windows this year you know, is he going to struggle a little bit? You know, was that growth that we saw down the stretch of those last handful of games of the season, is that going to continue? Because that was elite level play, you know, in really rough situations, that's a little hard to, you know, project sometimes because it's not really a stable category. Um, and also is the, I, I think the mechanics, it was still kind of inconsistent from time to time, even though I do think that he became, got a little bit better in rhythm and was a little bit more consistent as the season went on. It's just, can that just continue to keep being the case, right? You know, of course, the shoulder injury, you know, that, that you know, kind of resulted in some of it, the first few starts, and that could have resulted in overcompensating a little bit, um, you know, with the issues I outlined earlier. So, you know, I think, I think he has the potential to be, you know, the Heisman winner. There's no doubt about that. He's in a great situation to do so. Um, it, it's just with those other three quarterbacks ahead of him, you know, Bryce Young, I think he is pretty well above everybody else in the country. I mean, he's one of the best college quarterbacks that I've seen, you know, and he played for a horrible offensive line last year. I mean, that was, uh -huh. you know, you could probably say two offensive lines in the SEC were worse than that. Um, and he still was producing at an astronomical rate for someone that's, you know, two years removed from high school, you know, non-draft eligible. It's hard to do. Um, and then Rattler and Caleb Williams, um, you know, people aren't happy. It's, it, it's interesting with Spencer Rattler because I've never seen anything like it. There's so many people yeah. just want to dog on the guy. Um, and if he was playing for 127 other FBS schools last year, he's a starter from start to finish. And 
his first year starting the team for the team in 2020, they won the Big 12 title. I don't like to use quarterback wins as a stat, but he went 15 and two. Um, and, you know, he has the best data of anybody in college football. He's actually our highest graded quarterback since 2020. And a lot of people wouldn't believe that. Um, and, you know, so it's just I, I think it's splitting hairs with a lot of these guys. They all kind of have some type of weakness. I, I, I honestly without with Bryce Young, his weakness is mostly just his sloppy footwork and, you know, just kind of being more willing to make a play holding on the ball a little bit. But with where Alabama's playing, who they're playing in college football, that's not going to matter. You'll hear that when draft season rolls around next year, if it doesn't change. But, you know, from a college football perspective, you know, those guys are pretty close. I think Bryce Young's ahead of them, but you can really interchange Stroud, Rattler, and Williams in my mind. They all kind of had their deficiencies, but, you know, that that's the way it kind of came out in my mind. And I, again, these rankings are based off of, you know, heading into week one, who would you want to be in your quarterback and in what order? And I would go Young, uh, Williams, Rattler, and Stroud. Yeah, I don't, Again, I, I, there's certainly no reason that anyone should be like worried about C.J. Stroud, but I, right. I think it's, I think, even while believing that he's really good, I think it's fair to be like, well, just like a little curious what it looks like in year two without some of those guys with the other, um, you know, against some better defenses, that kind of thing. Rattler, I just thought was disinterested last year. It looked like he would drop back in the pocket and be like, why am I here? And now, what, but when you have a world that he sort of said some things once he got to South Carolina, in a world where it turns out, oh, his head coach left at the end of the year. I don't know. I mean, he got he just got a little loose, right? Got a little loose with the ball at times. It feels like there's still a lot there if he locks it down a little bit. And so I think South Carolina is like an intriguing sort of sleeper, not maybe that they're going to win something, but they have a tough schedule. They could screw up somebody else's season by winning a game they're not expected to win. I do think it's possible that people are sleeping too much on Spencer Rattler um, because I think he, I think it was maybe just like a weird mental and emotional year. And you almost chuck it and go back to the dude that was at Oklahoma in 2020. And then that'll be the guy that you get at South Carolina this year. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, he said it too, the hype around him, it was tough for him to handle. I mean, he had an absurd amount of hype. He was the consensus number one overall pick in the way too early mocks. Everybody had him as the, you know, the Heisman winner for the year. You know, he was the Heisman front runner and coming off the big 12 title expectations, you know, this could be Oklahoma's year. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I thought Oklahoma would win the national title last year. I mean, that was my preseason pick. I thought he'd be able to do that. And that was a wide opinion with a lot of people, Whereas even though Oklahoma has had some really good teams and they've made the college football playoff, I've never seen, you know, this much preseason hype with an Oklahoma team, you know, over the last decade. I mean, a lot of people thought they were going to be the national title. So it was a lot for him. But, you know, I think the I I don't know what happened behind the scenes with him and Lincoln Riley, but it was clear that Lincoln Riley did not trust Spencer Rattler for. And it's it's wild because I think the issues with Rattler's game were kind of the same with Caleb Williams game where they way too willing to, you know, pass up the check down and they're just going to go out there and try and yeah. hit the home run every single time. And if they, they sometimes are going to force it and Spencer Rattler like to force it sometimes. And that's where you kind of get those just, you know, I'm going to throw air it out. And so you look at the, the data and, um, you know, our, one of our R and D guys, Timo Risque, one of the smartest people, you know, from an analytics perspective, he built a very cool tool that we use at PFF, you know, looking at heat maps. Um, and you can see the heat maps from the routes run from Oklahoma's offense. It was a, pretty big difference with Rattler than it was with Caleb Williams. And, um, you know, Rattler's last 
2021 season versus his 2020 season. I mean, there were few opportunities to throw the ball downfield. And when there were, he was just going to go out there and try to make a play himself. I mean, he has, I think, some of the best arm talent that I've, you know, really ever seen. The releases, you know, out in three-tenths of a second every single time. I mean, it's just like a, a rubber band type of situation. And the, what he can do, you know, on the run outside of the pocket. I mean, his some of his best throws are unmatched compared to everybody else in college football. Um, it's just kind of reeling in that play where it's like, okay, you don't have to always be out there, you know, being the reason why, you know, and putting the team on your back, putting the Superman cape on. Sometimes it's fine if you're just kind of being the, the point guard and just recognizing that. But I think playing in a pro-style offense at South Carolina is really going to help him there, um, you know, in, you know, getting him through his decisions. Um, I, I think it's going to be, you know, like you said, they're not going to be college football playoff, but they could spoil some teams. I think they yeah. definitely will. Like, you know, Georgia and Arkansas, they got them pretty early. I think the first three game, first month of the season. Um, I don't think those are going to be, you know, typical blowouts as they would, would have been in the past. I mean, South Carolina, they won a bowl game last year and they're expected to win two games. They had a grad assistant as their quarterback for part of the year. Yeah. Now they get a guy that was a preseason Heisman favorite a year ago with, I think some of the best talent there. So they're definitely a team that I'm going to tune into regularly um, and be excited for this fall. I think they're going to be a spoiler. That's for sure. All right, Anthony, last one is you synthesize this talent and you, you piece together. Okay. Here's these, this guy's team's got this guy's at, what's your view on Ohio state is, is Ohio state near the top of the list of national title favorites in your mind? Do you think there's a weakness there that holds them back? What do you think about the Buckeyes? Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't made my national title prediction yet, but I will say I would be, I'm meaning it's either going to be Ohio state or Alabama um, for Ohio state. It's just, can they get back to their standard from a coverage perspective, what they were when they're, you know, they called themselves the best in America. Can they get back to that level? And they have the talent to get there. Uh, you know, Denzel Berkey didn't make one of the top 10 lists here, the cornerback for Ohio state, but he was close. You know, he's one of the top corners of what he did last year. Um, you know, coming in being a young guy. I mean, you don't see young guys like that produce at the quarter position very often. doesn't matter your recruiting status. Um, you know, so they have the talent to get there. Obviously Jim Knowles, the defense coordinator, that's one of the best, defensive coordinators in college football. Um, and so I think that's just kind of the big question mark with them. And of course, I, I mean, again, there's no reason to worry about CJ Stroud. It's just, you know, how does losing those two first round receivers and all of that go, but you still have, I think the best offense in the country, Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, and Jack Glenn, CJ Stroud, he's a top five quarterback. There's no doubt about that. Uh, in Alabama, like I said, it's the offensive line. Again, it's going to be worse than last year. Um, I, I think it will be. Um, and I think that could, even though Bryce Young, if I had to pick any quarterback to make a play when they're under pressure, it's Bryce Young. Um, that's just a, not a sustainable way to win. And you saw that against Georgia in the national title game. I mean, eventually it's going to catch up to you. It, it, we almost saw it happen two times in the regular season outside of Texas A&M with LSU and Auburn when Bryce Young had to, you know, he, he had to kind of put the team on his back there, you know, against Auburn. That was the best drive, I think, of the year when he marched down the field, you know, at the opposite goal line and ended up scoring with like a minute and a half left um, within that time frame, um, you know, it, he can go out there and make a play, but it was a consistent issue all throughout the game. So that's just the big question mark with them. Um, and I think this year overall, I think we could have another college season where we see some unpredictability, mm. um, you know, take place. And that's what I'm, I'm very excited about. And that and the transfer stuff in there too, um, just how does all of that kind of work for some of these programs like USC, for example, uh, just a lot of intrigue with this season. But, you know, as far as, you know, can Ohio State with the national title, I think they can. I, I'm down to either them or Bama to take it home. He's Anthony Tretch. You can follow his work at PFF. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. 
Anthony, thanks for joining us here today on Buckeye Talk. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. All right, that's it for this Buckeye Talk. Uh, I did go see Top Gun Maverick over the weekend, the film that Tom Cruise showed to uh, the Ohio State Marching Band a couple weeks ago. Boy, was it good. I left it. I said it's one of, I think it's one of the 10 best movies I ever saw, but there's one part of it that I just can't get over, and Miles Teller is in it. And I think of him as a young actor. He's like 35 now, but I guess a 35-year-old is young to me. But in 2015, I went to the Major League Baseball All-Star Weekend in Cincinnati because Urban Meyer was playing in the celebrity softball game. And I was just looking at my notes from that. Urban Meyer played for the National League. He batted between Miles Teller and softball star Jenny Finch. But I was watching, I was up up in the upper deck in the auxiliary press box, and I was watching Urban Meyer sit on the bench during the celebrity softball game, and he was sitting next to Miles Teller the whole time, and they didn't say a word to each other. Urban Meyer was just like, I don't know who this guy is. Kyle Schwarber from the Cubs, who's from Ohio, is an Ohio State fan, came over at some point, and Urban Meyer was like, you are my best friend. Kyle Schwarber. I could talk to you all day. And like back then, Miles Teller was a like a young guy. He was in his 20s then. I guess he was cute. I don't know. I'd never been much of a Miles Teller guy, frankly. But Urban Meyer was just like, I could not be less interested in talking to, like to this Hollywood person. I'm just here to try to get a hit in a softball game. And so that's all. It's not all I think of, but that's actually like my number one touch point with Miles Teller. I still haven't seen Whiplash, which is he's in with J.K. Simmons, and J.K. Simmons won an Oscar for it, and J.K. Simmons is a huge Ohio State fan. I like J.K. Simmons. I probably should see that movie. I did see War Dogs with Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, which was an interesting premise for a movie. They're bros in it, though. I don't love bro movies. Um, so... But Miles Teller, I just, I've never, I never really got Miles Teller. So Miles Teller is in Top Gun Maverick, and he's fine. But, you know, I like the, the planes and the rest of it, and Jennifer Connelly and Tom Cruise and, like, uh, you know, those people, John Hamm. Uh, John Hamm's John Hamm. But, like, uh, it's Miles Teller. So Miles Teller, Urban Meyer's uh, softball acquaintance, was in this really good movie. You guys should go see it. I'm not the first person telling you that. Okay, we'll be back. More podcasts this week. Thanks, as always, to you guys for doing it. Uh, thanks to Anthony Tresh for joining us here. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.